Well, good morning again. As they're making their way out, just a, a, a quick introduction. Um, my name is Perry Bauer, and uh, I'm honored that uh, Pastor John asked me to uh, fill in for him as they were off uh, visiting Victoria this week. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to do this one, one previous time, but uh, something happened with the recording, and it didn't get recorded, so Pastor John never got to hear it, so he didn't know what happened last time, and he asked me back. So... No, actually, I, it is an honor to do that. And um, I, I used to be a pastor. I, I actually two, had two stints as a parish pastor. And you know, when you're a pastor and you're preaching every week, you get into uh, a rhythm. And uh, now that I'm not in that rhythm, it was two and a half weeks ago that Pastor John asked me to do this. And I was still yesterday after two and a half weeks, kind of like, am I going to be ready? Um, you know, you're just not in, into that rhythm. So uh, we can certainly appreciate uh, uh, Pastor John and the rhythm he's in from week to week as he shares the word with us. And I can only hope uh, uh, I can uh, do the same for you um, this morning. Um, as I did the last time I shared with you, I will always make the disclaimer that it is up to you to be the Berean. That is from Acts chapter 17, uh, where Paul and Silas uh, have, have been chased uh, out of town and are, end up uh, uh, in uh, Berea and share the word of God. And the, the Bereans listen eagerly, but when they're done listening, then they go to the Bible and check to make sure that what Paul and Silas are saying is right. So it's up to you to be the Berean because I'm actually going to be sharing a message with you today that is um, not in the mainstream of interpretation in Scripture. So uh, good luck to all of us. Let's, uh, let's bow our head uh, and ask the Lord's blessing on this time together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word and its truth which comes to us uh, each and every day. And we ask that uh, as we have gathered in this place today, uh, that your spirit would hold sway over my words and the hearer's ears. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when I went to seminary a few years back, uh, I had a professor named Professor Schmelder who taught me how to preach. Uh, he is very influential, and I'm sad to say that he's going to be rolling over in his grave this morning because I'm going to break his number one rule for preaching right here from the outset. I'm going to have a big porch on a little house, and what that means is my introduction is going to be the bulk of the sermon. But the reason for that is because this morning, and as soon as uh, Pastor John had asked me to do this, uh, the Spirit uh, put this text of scripture uh, on my heart. I don't know why, but it happened, and so here we are. Uh, and it's a parable. Actually, it's a pair of parables. If you want to open and read those with me, they're found in Matthew chapter 13, which actually contains a lot of parables about the kingdom of heaven. We're going to focus in on a pair of those parables in verses 40. 4, 45, and 46. And you're probably somewhat familiar with these, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Reading in Jesus' name, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The words of the Lord. Parables. Parables are stories, they're illustrations, they're tools. The word parable um, has that word para in it. It's like parallel, two things that go alongside each other. Uh, Or paraclete, a name for the Holy Spirit, uh, when God comes alongside of us to help us and advocate for us. A parable is a teaching that comes alongside. It's an illustration. It's a way to bring clarity to a deep truth by bringing familiar details, stories about merchants and treasures and pearls. They're the tools. The thing about parables is that they're not always that easily understood. In fact, earlier in this chapter, as Jesus is teaching in parables, the disciples, when they have a private moment, say to Jesus, um, these things you're saying are kind of hard to follow. We don't quite get it. Why do you teach in parables? And Jesus answers, quoting the prophet Isaiah, that it's, there's a reason. <laughs> it's because that it takes faith to understand. And so, there have been, over the years, lots of interpretations of parables. However, if you go back in the history of interpretation of these two parables, there's not too much deviation. There is what I've come to call the discipleship interpretation of these parables. And maybe you've heard a sermon or two along these lines on this text. The kingdom of God is so valuable, folks, that you want to give up everything in this world to take hold of it and live and follow Jesus. Anyone heard a sermon like that? Oh, yeah. It looks like most of you, right? I can't really argue with that interpretation. It's pretty biblically sound, isn't it? Jesus himself says, take up your cross and do what? Follow me, right? And so a discipleship message is certainly not something that's foreign to Jesus at all, right? It's something that's a part and parcel of our faith. But is that what these parables are teaching? That's the question I have, because for me there's a problem with interpreting this set of parables as discipleship messages. And my study Bible, how many of you have a study Bible? Yeah, they're great, right? Just remember that someone as fallible as you wrote those notes. In my study Bible, it talks about this interpretation. It says, in the parables of both the hidden treasure and the precious pearl, Jesus reinforces this basic truth. Earthly possessions cannot compare with the immense value and cost of God's kingdom. We must not press the details of these parables, however, to say that one can buy entrance into God's kingdom. Right? Don't press the details, the study note says, because it leads you down the wrong path. Well, I wonder why that is. Well, I mentioned this chapter 13 has a lot of parables in it, doesn't it? If you just page back, you'll notice that it starts out that way with the parable of the sower. 
What I love about the parable of the sower, you know, that's the one where the sower sows seed and some falls on the rocky path and so forth. What's the best part of that parable? We don't have to guess what it means. Why? In verse 18, Jesus explains it. So we don't have to guess about what the interpretation is. And then he tells us what the interpretation is. He says, the sowing of the seed is the spreading of the word of the kingdom. And people who hear the word respond in, in various ways. Right? He explains that. Likewise, there's another parable. The parable of the weeds, starting in verse 36. And again, a great thing about this parable is that Jesus himself self-explains it. Again, there's a, the idea of someone sows some seed and then an enemy comes and sows weeds among the seed. Right? And he explains that, well, the one who sows the seed is the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus, right? Jesus is telling a parable about himself. As he's explaining the kingdom of God, he's explaining that he is integral to the kingdom of God. That he's the one who plants it. And of course, the adversary, that's Satan, who, who tries to, to interfere with the establishment of the kingdom. So, in these two parables, Jesus makes it really clear that the one who's doing the work is who? God, Jesus, the one who's come. Yet, when we come to this parable, all of a sudden we seem to shift gears. The parable of the field and the parable of the pearl. And we put ourselves in its place and we put Jesus in the place of the treasure or the pearl. That we have to go and seek him. That doesn't really, to me, seem to fit what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom here. Here are these two parables again. But as you hear them, instead of thinking of the message of discipleship, about what it costs you to follow Jesus, I want you to hear these parables as I read them again with a, a Christological or a Christ-centered focus that would be Jesus giving all to find you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, and on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now tell me that didn't feel different when you heard it. As Christ finding you. The joy and the comfort that this text brings about the kingdom of God. You see, when we see Jesus as the man, what we really learn about the kingdom is the value that Jesus places on finding the lost, us. And the lengths that he is willing to go to bring those lost into his kingdom. Who doesn't like a good treasure movie? You know, I've been watching with, with a, a lot of interest about Indiana Jones number five, right? I wonder what treasure he's going to find. It doesn't really matter because who's the hero that we're interested in? Indiana Jones. 
The treasure's secondary. Or maybe you're not into Indiana Joe's. Maybe you, you like something a little more lighthearted, something like National Treasure and Benjamin Gates seeking after that great historic wealth, right? But again, that's just secondary. The hero of the story is Benjamin Gates as he solves the mystery of the great treasure. Or if you want to be a little more wacky, you can go Pirates of the Caribbean and Captain Jack Sparrow, right? Do you even remember the treasure he was looking for? It's about the treasure hunter, not the treasure, right? That's, and we enjoy movies like that. I know I do. Well, that's these parables. The hero of these parables, the treasure hunter of these parables is Jesus. And in, doing, in teaching us through these parables, what Jesus is doing is declaring that you and me are cherished subjects in the kingdom of heaven. We're valued and treasured and sought after. Now, we can sometimes have a hard time with that. That Jesus deems us to be of great value. We really think about that. Jesus, the one who was there hovering over the waters with the Spirit of God, speaking into existence all of creation, values me, takes notice of me, of you. Especially when you think he also knows all the stuff that I've done. All the stuff that I've thought. And he still values me. I know when I take that inventory of myself, I don't find a lot of value. I find a lot of brokenness. I find a lot of junk. My wife and I were blessed to be able to purchase a property up near Trapper Creek. And some might say there was treasure on it. No. Garbage. Abandoned truck topper. Semi-truck tires. Why would anybody bring semi-truck tires onto a rural property? I don't know. Well, that's how I feel about myself, though. Jesus would find me and find value? But that's exactly what he does. Remember earlier in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount? We all love the Sermon on the Mount, right? He reminds us not to be anxious about anything. Why? Because just as the lilies of the field are cared for, just as the birds of the air are cared for, so are we. Because Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? He deems us to be of value. Or remember little Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Just wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus and goes up the tree, right? And then then Jesus calls him down and loves on him and says, I'm going to go and eat at your house today. And all the religious people are going, oh, that worthless man is going to have Jesus in his home? Well, Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus as worthless. He valued him. And he concludes by telling all those who were astonished by his choice, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus deems us to be of great value. That's why Jesus delights, absolutely delights in finding us. That's what we see in this parable, right? The, 
the man who finds the treasure in the field or the merchant who finds the great pearl, they get giddy. You know that feeling, right? When you, you find that perfect outfit to wear or you get that new vehicle or maybe if you're a hunter you get that prize moose or sheep and that joy that goes with it, that satisfaction, that fulfillment. That's how Jesus feels. In John chapter 15, remember Jesus is teaching about the vine. He's the vine, we are the branches. In that text he says that this is so important. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is about Jesus celebrating finding us. His joy in loving us. The writer to the Hebrews puts it in stark contrast about Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the most horrific thing, the cross. So how great must that joy have been that he would go to the cross and die that death. Jesus delights in finding us and he dedicates himself to making us his own possession. He makes that ultimate sacrifice on the cross, doesn't he? One of the things I love about Gateway Christian Fellowship is a simple statement of faith, right? The Apostles' Creed. Wondrous ancient creed talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Creator, God the Redeemer, God the Sanctifier. Well, in that second article about Jesus, that whole article, that whole portion of the, the Apostles' Creed is Jesus' dedication to saving us. Hear it, hear it if you don't know it. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Now listen, here's what He does. To buy us. Who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is the incarnation. That is, He gave up being God and became a man. Was born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified. Died and was buried. So just think of that portion of it, the price that Jesus has paid. You are the author and creator of the entire universe. Now you're dead. That's the price Jesus was willing to pay for this treasure. He descended into hell not to suffer, but to declare victory. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So he paid that price coming from heaven to death. But then took his life up again. That he might gather us together. To be his. Jesus declares... Jesus 
declares that we are His. His cherished treasure. His finest of all pearls. We belong to Him. That's the comfort that we have in Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The great treasure hunter has found his treasure. But is there not also some discipleship in the finding of treasure? We like to find treasure too, don't we? Any fans of American pickers? Storage wars, pawn stars, right? That all started way back with, I'm probably, there's a few older folks here, remember PBS Roadshow? Right? That's where it all started. <laughs> we like to find treasures too. And this parable does apply to us. Jesus says to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So if the Father sent Jesus to search out treasure and gather it in, he's so sending us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission, right? So even as Jesus declares us to be His own treasure, He has sent us to gather more treasure for the kingdom. We've received that commission to grow the kingdom. And if we look back in Matthew chapter 13, we also see that in these other parables, don't we? The sowing of the seed, the weeds among the wheat. We recognize with Jesus the value of the lost. Now that can be hard for us. I know it can be hard for me. I work in a jail. I don't necessarily see people at their best. Right? And it's easy, especially when some of the people I see at the jail, I see every other week or every other month. This last week I had 10 people come onto my caseload. Nine of them I didn't have to do any work on because they had just been there the week before. All I had to do is change the dates on their forms. It's real easy to get judgmental and give up on those people, cast them aside, right? It's really easy to deem them to be of lesser or even no value. We prayed for the homeless this morning. Same thing, right? real easy to dismiss them. Well, they kind of had their chance, haven't they? They had all summer long to find a place to live, didn't they? Right? Yet, as those who have been gathered into God's own kingdom through Jesus Christ, we value those lost. No matter how many times they come into the jail. No matter how many times we have to put them up in a hotel. We recognize the value of the lost. 
Remember the parable that Jesus told of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25? He goes through that litany of, of all the times that the people of God saw people in need and helped them. And, and some said, well, when did we ever see you hungry or needy or homeless? Whenever you did this to the least, to the least of these brothers of mine. You've done it to me. We value the lost. And like Jesus, we rejoice at the finding. And again, that can be hard for us to do. Sometimes finding the lost doesn't smell so good. Right? I mean, that's just a reality. Sometimes finding the lost means putting up with a lot of difficult circumstances because the lost come with baggage. I know you guys don't have baggage, but the lost do, right? And so we find ourselves with Jesus rejoicing. Again, we go to Jesus' own teaching. The parable of the shepherd with a hundred sheep. One is lost. What does the shepherd do? Goes and finds the one and celebrates. Or the woman with the coin, ten coins, one is lost. So she searches the whole house, and then when the, finds the one, celebrates the joy of the finding. And Jesus says, even the angels in heaven celebrate when even one sinner repents. With Jesus, we rely on the price that needs to be paid. But the good news is you and I don't have to pay it. It's been paid in full. So when we go and seek and save the lost, when we rejoice in the finding of those who need Jesus, they're already bought and paid for. It doesn't cost us a thing. This is the true gospel proclamation. It's like when your child, your young child, wants to buy you a birthday gift. Right? Where do they get the money to do that? From you, right? You buy your own gift. But you do that, right? You give them the money so they can buy you that gift. You give them the joy of giving to you. And that is what Jesus has done for us who are his people. He gives us the joy of giving his love, grace, and mercy to the lost. I found it really strange over the last month how much attention has been given to the monarchy in England. I thought we broke away from them a couple hundred years ago, but we seem to care a lot about who's king or queen and who's prince or not prince, or princess or not princess. I don't get it. But I am fascinated by our interest in it. I wonder if part of it isn't the idea of a kingdom. You know, we're all about democracy in America, right? But maybe inside of us there's still something that resonates with the idea of a kingdom. Because a kingdom is a place of safety. 
A kingdom is a, is a place where you can rely on the king to govern and do what is right. Well, we're in a kingdom. And it's like a man who found treasure in a field and covered it up. And then in his joy, went and bought that field. Well, we're in a kingdom. And it's like a man who was searching out great pearls. And when he found the best one ever, sold all he had so he could have it. That's the kingdom we're in. It's a living parable. Jesus has laid these words alongside of our life so that we might learn that he's the great treasure hunter who loves us and keeps us. In his name, amen.